Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Pem Medicine, advancing medicine through precision diagnostics and novel therapies. Your host is Dr. Lee Friedman. When a patient's facial structures are affected by disease or trauma, it can be both physically and emotionally devastating. What are some of the latest advances in facial reconstruction? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me today are University of Pennsylvania physicians, Dr. Stephen Kennedy, Assistant Professor of Clinical Otorhinolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery, and Dr. Oren Friedman, Director of Facial Plastic Surgery and Associate Professor of Clinical Otorhinolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery. Doctors Kennedy and Friedman, Steve, Oren, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Well, why don't we start at a very uh, simple, basic level, and, and Steve, perhaps I could ask you to comment on what exactly is facial reconstruction? What do we mean by that? Sure. Facial reconstruction is a very general term that implies that somebody who's undergone some injury or loss of tissue of the facial structures requires the expertise of somebody specializing in rejuvenation of those tissues with the primary goal to restore both the physical form and the function of those structures that have been lost. And that can come in a variety of different forms. And I imagine then we're talking about uh, trauma at, and disease at certain times? Yeah, that's that's precisely the main two areas we have these types of defects come from. Cancers of the face, which can be stemming from skin cancers or from deeper down structures that erode through the facial structures can cause facial reconstruction dilemmas, as well as trauma, uh, any type of blunt force or even sharper or ballistic injuries to the face leave quite a bit of damage in, into the facial areas. Uh, so, Oren, I imagine then there are techniques that you have to do for bone repair as well as uh, blood vessel and soft tissue. Do all of those things get encompassed by facial reconstruction? Yes, all layers need to be reconstructed uh, in all cases. Preferably, we like to use similar tissue to reconstruct the tissue that's missing. So whenever the opportunity allows, we like to use tissues from the region of the face, mobilize them in order to fill in the defects. But when the wounds, either due to trauma or cancer resection, are too large, we turn to tissue from a distant site and move it into the area of absent tissue. And so the goal is to bring in new bone or skin or muscle in order to reconstruct that. And are typically these procedures done with more than one surgeon in the OR at once, or are they sometimes staged procedures over a period of weeks or, or longer? Yeah, I think the answer is yes to both. There are some procedures that, that are intended to be single stage, but more realistically for this type of complexity, uh, there, there tends to be staged procedures. In fact, some of the techniques we use are intentionally staged because we know they achieve the, the best results. And uh, we find uh, in our institution that working together uh, does have a, a, a lot of advantages. Uh, Oren and I tend to do these cases of highly complex facial defects together. Uh, we both bring similar sets of skills with some differences. In a lot of our very complex patients that we'll, I think, discuss in a bit, I'll do some of the free tissue transfer work, whereas Dr. Friedman will specialize in local reconstructions and sculpting and fine-tuning a lot of those those uh, tissues that we've brought into the area. So they, there do tend to be quite a few refinements uh, to get the optimal results we're looking for. Very interesting. And and since you have uh, a variety of ways of approaching things, uh, Oren, is there a general approach to facial reconstruction? Uh, what are the options for different types of patients? First, we think about the areas that are involved. For example, if it's a central facial problem or a mid problem, including 
areas like the nose or the cheeks uh, will do certain things. If it's the lower face, like the jaw or the neck, there are other options. And then in the upper face, in the forehead area, there are yet other options. You know, on the smaller defects, for example, uh, when it's a skin-only defect, let's say from a skin cancer or from a, uh, a traumatic abrasion uh, that leaves a patient with a lot of scarring, they may experience things like uh, missing large portions of their nose. Uh, it could be a skin-only defect, in which case we would rotate some skin from the local area, including the nose or the cheek or the forehead, down into the nasal region to cover up the absent uh, nasal skin. If we're also missing cartilage, we might turn to uh, either the septum, which is within the nose, or to the ear, or to the rib, or to the bone on the uh, skull in order to rebuild the bone that's missing. For the internal lining of that defect, we might use some local flaps from within the nose, for example, or Steve might bring in tissue from a distant site, for example, radial forearm flap taken from the arm in order to provide lining in a nose that's completely absent of lining on the internal aspect. And I think what Orin's describing is, is uh, what we call the reconstructive ladder. And the reconstructive ladder starts simple. We, we want to do the least invasive surgery that has the highest likelihood of, of best outcomes cosmetically and functionally. In some patients, that might mean just a skin graft or a primary closure. Uh, if you were to lose, a, say, a portion of the cheek that was not very wide, we may just undermine the skin and close it, and that's a form of facial reconstruction. If it's a wider um, missing amount of tissue, we may need to do something called a local flap, which is rotating skin from an adjacent area into that area, which Dr. Warren described from the nasal flap from the forehead. That's one type of that. And then as we get higher along the complexity, maybe, maybe you're missing composite tissues, including skin, inner parts of the cheek or nose, uh, eyelids, other areas that involve bone, then we, we start to think of well, maybe bringing up a single unit of composite tissue from the forearm, the leg, or some of the other areas, and that's called free flap or free tissue transfer. That's one of the more complex ways, but sometimes very necessary. And then the last comment I'd have is that the patient considerations are very important, of course. We have some patients coming with advanced cancers that really will need some additional treatment for that cancer. And we do have to take into consideration how quickly we need to get a patient healed and do we have time for multiple steps before they might, might need radiation. And we do, uh, we do discuss all those types of issues up front so that we have a, a clear plan for the immediate reconstruction as well as the long-term future. What you described makes very good sense, that reconstructive ladder and then the attention to the specific individual patient needs. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today are Dr. Stephen Kennedy and Oren Friedman, and we're discussing advances in facial reconstruction. Oren, in terms of skin cancers and, and tumors in particular, have there been some advances in tumor removal that affect your job in facial reconstruction? Yeah, absolutely. Back in the old days, excisions would take place without being certain where the margins are. It was difficult to assess exactly where the tumor ended. Over the course of recent years, meaning 15, 20 years, it's become extremely common for something called MOHS surgery, M-O-H-S surgery, which is a surgery performed these days by dermatologists primarily 
in which sections of tissue are removed from the area in order to make certain that the least amount of normal tissue is removed. In other words, they try to stay pretty tight around the margins of the tumor in order to clear the margins or get to a point where there's negative tumor margins uh, and thereby limit the amount of tissue that's removed. This becomes especially important in regions of the face as we get close to the eye or close to the nose or close to the mouth or the ear, we want to limit the amount of skin that's removed in order to provide the patient with the best possible outcome from a reconstructive standpoint. We don't want to deform the mouth or pull an eyelid down uh, by taking out so much tissue that it becomes very difficult or impossible to repair in a cosmetically acceptable way and functionally acceptable way. So those techniques have allowed us to reconstruct more favorably and also provide the patient with better tumor control. Uh, by relying on the dermatologist to remove it, and then we may be called in to reconstruct it. So you know the margins are clear, and, and you can get a better cosmetic and functional result uh, because you can do a more limited procedure at, at times. Exactly. And the other advantage of that, we, we apply that also in the operating room. For example, when our head and neck surgeons excise tumors, they don't need to worry about the margins that they get, so they can be certain to take out the entire tumor uh, because they can rely on guys like Steve to uh, reconstruct the area with fresh tissue from a distant site. So no matter how big the defect is, he can fill it. Very interesting. And, and Steve, that, that's a surgical advance. Have there been any non-surgical advancements that affect outcomes? Certainly. In, in this current modern era, we, we've developed newer and more exciting reconstructive planning, both from a software standpoint and also physical items within the OR that we can utilize. And certainly from my standpoint, when I'm planning a, a major reconstruction of the face, it's helpful to have these types of very sophisticated imaging studies so that I can assess what my expected defect after the cancer surgery might be, or in the case of a trauma patient, to really image the amount of missing and volume of missing tissue. We can then use some of the planning software and tools that computers have now afforded us to not only plan virtually a surgery using the software, but also to develop models. So you actually have a physical model of a patient's face and, and the deformity that may, they may have after the surgery that I can then plan the surgery and reconstructive techniques off of. And that's a, a major advance both in, in how we think through the surgery, but also the accuracy of our outcomes. And specifically to highlight, one of the major issues when we had major facial reconstruction was whether we would get the bite of the teeth back to a perfect occlusion so that it would feel that people's teeth fit together well. And this computer software has allowed us to take that from several millimeters with, of accuracy down to less than a millimeter of accuracy once we reconstruct these defects. So it almost feels as though the patient never had surgery to them. That downstream allows us to rehabilitate the, the dentition and teeth and, and some of the more important structures for quality of life. That is incredible and wonderful that you have those advancements. As we get further along the reconstructive ladder, uh, Steve, I think you were mentioning a so-called free tissue transfer. Can you describe that and what type of patients will require that free tissue transfer? Free tissue transfer is also called free flap surgery. And what that implies is that we have used tissue from a distant site from where we would like to use it. So, for example, if somebody were to lose a large portion of the scalp or of the facial skin and we needed a large volume of skin not readily available in the 
local area from the neck or face. We can use skin from the side of the leg, from the belly, from the palm surface of the forearm, and all these areas have blood vessels that come along with them. We then, not unlike a transplant of an organ, we take that tissue that we harvest with the blood vessels and we transplant them to the head and neck. And under a microscope, we hook up an artery to the, the flap artery and a vein to the flap vein, and that allows it to have its own blood supply. And this allows us to, in the most basic sense, transfer large volumes of composite tissue, meaning skin, bone, uh, even tendons or nerves if we need those. Uh, and Dr. Friedman and I, uh, Oren and I, have done some facial reanimation surgery with free tissue, and that means when someone's face has stopped moving from a cancer or a trauma, we can actually get it to move again with one of these free tissue transfers. The people that really benefit are that type of patient who's had pretty major facial changes from, from cancers or traumas, have lost not just small amounts of skin, but large, large amounts of skin. Many of the patients that undergo this have advanced tumors or have had sequelae of major trauma or sequelae of major cancer surgeries in the past and then additional treatments. So they tend to be patients with more advanced problems that may have been dealing with them for for some time. Mm. And I would think it's incredible with the blood supply to these free tissue uh, sections, uh, but I would think that some of these patients may be debilitated. They've had more advanced tumors and all. Are there problems with these taking and healing properly? That's an excellent question and a very complicated answer that I'll try to answer. The answer is yes. We know that people with Advanced cancers have uh, what's called hypercoagulability, which means that they tend to clot and get blood clots in the legs or lungs more frequently than the average person. So when you're doing a tissue transfer, clotting is your enemy. And so we do have protocols in place that work quite well in our hands. Uh, our success rates are well above uh, standard nationally. We have 95 to 98% success. Wow. I think we have good patient selection and good uh, protocols. We give uh, aspirin. It's a great way to thin the platelet count and prevent clotting. We monitor our free tissue transfers with something called an implantable Doppler that wraps around the artery and gives us continuous real-time information that we have good flow to the tissue. And so those techniques greatly enhance our success rates. That being said, you are right. It is a, somewhat of a plumbing operation. We're moving blood vessels and hooking them up. And because of that, sometimes the artery or vein can get blocked or clotted. In those instances, we, because we monitor closely, often we can take the patient back to the operating room and fix the problem about 8 out of 10 times. Even when it occurs, we can salvage it. That is very impressive. And let me ask uh, each of you sequentially one last question, and I'll ask you to look to the future. And, and Oren, are there some emerging technologies that you see impacting facial reconstruction? Well, definitely. I think that um, as materials become more biocompatible, uh, utilizing external uh, scaffolds, for example, to shape different structures such as the ear, the nose, the lips, the eyes, we'll be able to basically print these out on a printer and insert them into the human body, either with coverage utilizing local tissues, skin to vascularize it to provide blood supplies to those tissues that are printed, or through the transfer of uh, free tissue to provide new blood supplies to those, uh, to those regions, or to just um, hook vessels up directly to those structures. So that is gonna be a real thing probably within our lifetime that we'll be able to print these out on a machine and then implant those materials. Mm. 
That sounds wonderful. And Steve, anything you would like to add, things that you see emerging? In terms of free tissue transfer, uh, one of the most impressive things done in the last five uh, years has been facial transplantation. There's been a handful of these done worldwide. They really are for the most advanced facial defects imaginable. People uh, who've had them have had injuries such as primate that that injured most of the structures of the face of one, one individual. Another had sustained a gunshot wound to the middle of the face and really had exhausted the free tissue transfers from their own body. This is a patient who reaches a point where we, we really simply can't use their own body parts to reform something that looks like a face. And in those people, it's sometimes reasonable to consider it. Uh, there are some side uh, notes. You do have to be on immunosuppressing medicines for life, so cancer patients aren't great candidates for this as of now. We don't have the right medicines to control cancer and suppress the immune system so it won't reject the tissue. That being said, there's continuous research into the field. There's continuous advancements. And of the people who've had this, many of them have excellent results and are very satisfied with their face. When you think about somebody with a massive loss of facial tissues, you know, the face sits atop the head and is one of the most significant qualities of a, of a human. We look to the face as a window to the soul, so to speak. And many of these people are completely debilitated emotionally. And if they need it, a facial transplantation is something they may benefit from. So I see that as something that may, may develop further as medications improve in such a way that we may be able to use it more frequently. Well, I very much want to thank Drs. Uh, Steve Kennedy and Oren Friedman for being with us and sharing with us uh, their corroborative efforts uh, and important, exciting work in facial reconstruction, helping patients uh, all along the so-called reconstructive ladder to feel better both physically and emotionally. Doctors, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine. To download this podcast or to access others in the series, please visit reachmd.com pen and visit Penn Physician Link an exclusive program that helps referring physicians connect with Penn. Here you can find education resources, information about our expedited referral process, and communication tools. To learn more, visit www.penmedicine.org slash physician link. Thank you for listening.